Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Technology, intelligence, data. Today we live in a world that's more connected and more transformative than ever before. Our devices are helping us complete tasks at a faster pace and with more precision than we could have ever imagined just a few years ago. But as our lives in the physical and digital worlds become more intertwined, how can we be sure that the algorithms are always on our side? And how can we safeguard technology to ensure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands? In this series, we'll be meeting the experts, the technologists, entrepreneurs and activists to ask them some of those important questions and to champion the people using tech as a force for good for all. This is Our Lives Plus Tech from Nominate Trust, the UK's leading investor of social tech and the people behind NT100, a global campaign that celebrates the people and organisations who are using tech to change the world for the better. I'm Ada Paris, and in this episode, we'll be exploring the future of transport. We were very excited to do something that both had something that really mattered and had the market potential to be a successful business. So as of today, we've flown over 300,000 kilometers, delivering over 7,000 units of blood while making 5,000 delivery flights. Coming up, we'll hear how small autonomous aircrafts called ZIPs are being used to revolutionise healthcare delivery in some of the world's most far-to-reach places. We'll hear from Keenan Weirabek, the co-founder of ZipLine, later in the show. But from medical deliveries to the daily commute, today in the studio I'm really excited to be joined by someone who's working at the forefront of the autonomous vehicle industry, otherwise known as self-driving cars. Based here in the UK, the company is called 5AI and their mission is to bring safe, shared transport services to Europe's most urban areas, decongesting cities and shaping a positive environmental impact along the way. A warm welcome to 5AI's Director of Public Policy, Lucy Yu. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So Lucy, we've got lots to discuss today and this is an area I'm really interested in because I've recently helped to host an event on the future of transport. Mm -hmm. So this is very timely. So first up, 5AI is a startup that's attracted a lot of attention recently Mm -hmm. in a short space of time, raising something around the region of $35 million worth of investment and taking part in lots of projects with people such as Transport for London. So why don't we start by you telling us what 5AI is about? What are you actually doing? 
So we're a UK company, as you mentioned, we are developing self-driving passenger transport services for cities and we want those services to complement the city's existing public transport services. And we think if we get this right, we can provide a, a real viable alternative to owning your own vehicle. It's a full stack model and what that means is that really it means we're doing everything apart from manufacturing the vehicles. So we are developing the self-driving software itself, almost like the, the brain on the vehicle, and we're also delivering the end journeys to passengers, to customers, and all of the stuff in between as well. And so where are you at in terms of pilots? Because I believe that you're hoping to run some pilots very soon in London? Yeah, that's right. So we will be demonstrating some limited passenger services in London, probably in 2020. Our target there is to actually replace commuter cars and to help bring our passengers into kind of points of presence around existing public transport. At the moment, we're just graduating from testing on the private track. So we have a, a small fleet of vehicles that we've been testing on private roads and we're just moving to some testing on public roads. We're doing that in a very constrained way and this public road testing still has human safety drivers in the vehicles um, and those are very highly trained individuals in the vehicles for us. Um, so a bit like the DLR? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess you could say that. I, I think there are probably some. It's, it's amazing that you see, you know, tourists on the DLR. It's an electric train. They all sit at the front, yes. and then there's a driver, and they're kind of going, "Wow!" Yeah. <laughs> so that's going on in and around our test track facility. Um, we will be starting a what we call our requirements discovery process in London this summer. Now that will be a, a fleet of our vehicles that will be fully human driven, but the purpose of those particular activities is really to help us learn about some of the edge cases from the real world that could cause our systems to fail and we want to learn about those cases so that we can fix them before we progress to actual automated driving. So that will be from this summer. Um, we don't anticipate actually starting any automated driving in London until next year and then we will begin to carry some passengers in London from 2020. Okay, so I've got a question for you. So looking at it from the passenger perspective, when we talk about self-driving cars, are we talking about individuals in their own cars or is it a hybrid between a car and a bus so it's shared? Yeah, so we're definitely focused on shared transportation. So we believe that the prevalent modelling cities in future will be a service-based model of transport. So we don't think people will own their own vehicles as much in future. And you know, we want to design a service that's so good that people don't need to. But we definitely want to focus on shared transport. We will try to identify passengers who have common journeys or common elements of journeys so that they can share the vehicle. And I think you know, one of the real benefits of doing that is we can reduce the overall number of vehicles on the road and really relieve congestion in our cities and, and just give people back the time that they currently lose being stuck in traffic. I'm sure we're all familiar with actually give people back some productive time there. So that raises two points for me. There's the first that when we talk about self-driving cars, a lot of people will probably think of these great luxury sci-fi cars that are only only the rich and famous can afford. Mm. So you've kind of looked, touched on that. But the other side is that the other benefits that you started to allude to, that are shared experiences. Because I think one of the interesting points for me is how does it change us as society? You know, so looking at the shared bit versus loneliness versus mm -hmm. equality of access yeah. to, you know, are those the sorts of things that you're really thinking about when you're developing this? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think the self-driving technology really has the potential to effectively to democratise access to, to transport services. So we think that we 
can provide really universal kind of low-cost access to transport for everybody. So regardless of where you live, be it, you know, right in the heart of the city centre or maybe out in, in the suburbs, and, and regardless of your income level as well. So and we really hope we can help to reach some of those people who may not currently be very well served by existing transport services, but also to provide services that are much more flexible, much more personalised to individuals, particularly people who may want to use routes or to travel at times of day where demand is perhaps lower and it may not be economical or affordable or practical to kind of offer human-driven services, we think we'll be able to fill that gap for people. So we'll definitely be able to offer people much better access to things like employment and education and and, and public services and social care and and all of these things that are reliant on good transportation. Well, because transport's more than just going from A to B now. Mm -hmm. There's a real social impact around that. And I think one of the things that you know, I'd seen was about the fact that it impacts happiness. Mm-hmm. And that's something I know that you talk about as well. We definitely have a big issue in many of our major cities where congestion is very heavy. And I think by reducing the number of vehicles on our streets, on our roads, we can actually make those nicer public places. So this kind of idea of the public realm and what's it currently used for, actually, should it be designed around the vehicle, the automobile, or could we use that space differently? And I think one of the things that self-driving services will enable us to do is to actually repurpose some of the land that's currently used for parking, then probably we could have nicer public places, public spaces, if we could do something different with that. Definitely up for more public spaces. Um, And so the other thing that you know, as you're talking, that comes to mind is the idea of freeing up time. Mm -hmm. Because if people aren't sitting in traffic, they're going to have more time. I mean, I know for myself, sometimes I justify getting an Uber by saying that I'm going to work while I'm in the back of the car. And I think that maybe that's something that people will start to think about as well. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, we can give people back a lot of time. So the, the figures at the moment, if you're a driver, you'll spend on average 230 hours a year just stuck in traffic. Wow. Um, so there's there's massive potential to give people back productive time, um, which they might choose to use for work or, you know, maybe <laughs> relaxing or yep. other purposes instead. And I think that there's an obvious environmental impact here. So how does that play into what you're trying to do? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess in two ways. So firstly, because we're very focused on offering shared services, we feel we can reduce the number of vehicles on the road overall. So that will result in lower emissions and we're using an electric fleet But also because we're trying to design services that complement public transport options in cities, then actually we can really drive people to use public transport where that might not previously have been a viable option. So they might have chosen to just make that journey entirely using their own private vehicle. So um, we can definitely drive people, drive those kind of passenger numbers on public transport services and um, hopefully encourage people to be more active and have some healthier outcomes. I think some of the broader environmental impacts will be less production of cars and manufacturing and yep. those sorts of things yep. as well so I, I can see the benefits in that way yeah there's an awful lot of uh, resources currently used just as I mean as you said to manufacture vehicles and um, and then sort of dispose of them when they come to the end of their useful life and the, those sorts of things and we can definitely we, we can kind of reduce that consumption cycle by having this service-based model Great. So hopefully that little bit of the conversation has helped to dispel some of the fears that people may have around the idea of of self-driving cars. So one of the things I want to talk about now is the innovation and the technology. So 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you, what you're doing is combining artificial intelligence mm -hmm. with transport. So do you want to talk a little bit more about how that works for you? Yeah, so autonomous driving in an urban environment is a really challenging problem. It's very difficult. And um, one of the things that's key to being able to solve that challenge is to be able to predict how a scene is going to unfold. And that means understanding how all the, all the actors, all the agents, all the things within that scene are going to interact with each other. And to do that, we use what we call novel multi-agent AI to make those predictions. And to be able to make those predictions, you need to perceive very nuanced gestures in a scene. So that might be things like understanding human poses and micro gestures in, in the way that humans are moving, understanding indicator status of other vehicles and things like that. And all of these things are, are generally problems that are kind of hitherto unsolved. Um, so we're building a team to tackle those and, and really focus on that very deep understanding. So obviously there's going to be lots of component parts coming together, sensors, and I had a look at your website, and there's other bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on what you're using? Yeah, so we have a suite of sensors around the vehicle. So we use LiDAR, um, radar, cameras. So that's kind of almost like the perception part of the puzzle, if you like. So we perceive the world around us and we perceive it through different types of sensor. And then we take those inputs and we need to interpret what they're telling us and then build prediction models say we'll see what we've seen around the vehicle um, for instance pedestrians cyclists other vehicles that kind of thing and we will build a uh, probabilistic prediction model for the next behaviors of each of those things and then we'll use that model to inform our own vehicles next actions and that addresses some of the kind of safety issues that some people would have around self-driving cars because you're being very thorough and very rigorous in the types of technology and the research that you're doing to make sure that happens yeah, well, safety is a massive area in its own right. You know, one of the things that's really important to us is simulation. So to be able to demonstrate that you have a safe system, you need to be able to model lots of different potential scenarios that the system could encounter. And you can't do that purely in the real world. Even if you drove billions and you know trillions of miles, actually, you would only actually encounter a very small proportion of the possible scenarios that you could expect to encounter over in many years of driving. So actually, and also the other thing I should say is that, that of course, wouldn't be, wouldn't be entirely safe. So yeah. the way that you um, kind of verify your system and ensure that it can respond to many, many different types of scenarios is to essentially to run your system in a synthetic world. So, and by doing that, you identify what we call edge cases, which are kind of really unusual scenarios, maybe combinations of different things around the vehicle, combinations of different conditions, weather conditions, lighting conditions, where your system could fail. And then once you've identified them in simulation, you can make sure you can fix them so that your vehicle will be safe in the real world. Thank you. That's great just to know that you are going into so much detail to try and make sure before actually releasing vehicles onto the road. Yeah. Moving on, there are quite a few well-known brand names kind of innovating in this space. And, you know, I think because of some of the work that I've done, I've seen some mm. other flying pods and what have you. <laughs> There's lots of th things happening around the future of transport. What makes you different? What is it that you're doing? Yeah. That How are you able to compete or have 
skin in the game? Yeah, well, I think there are a few things there. I mean, one of the things that springs to mind is in terms of self-driving services, we're pretty much the only European company who's trying to do this full-stack service. We're trying to do the whole thing. So this is not just about developing some kind of prototype science. It's actually about deploying something in the real world as a service. And many of the others in, in Europe, in particular in this space, they're addressing specific pieces of the puzzle, but not the full piece. So it might be that they're focused on sensors, for instance, or mapping. But we think to really make this work, you need to look at everything in unity. So you need to look at all of those things together. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Well, from self-driving cars and the future of the taxi service, I want to take a little diversion now to think about other areas of innovation in the transport industry that could have a real positive human impact. So now I want to pass over to Keenan Wyrobeck to introduce his company, Zipline. My name's Keenan Wyrobeck. I run the product and engineering team here at Zipline. And at Zipline, we're all about getting essential medical products to the hardest reached places in the world. We deliver medicine by small autonomous aircraft, like drones, and we do it in a really simple way. Picture a small plane, you know, something you could carry around. It's electric powered. When an order comes into our distribution center, we pack those orders on demand, put them in the zips, as what we call those aircraft, and launch them. They, they fly automatically to the delivery site where they drop the package. The package looks kind of like a cake box with a paper parachute attached. The package uh, drifts and lands in the yard of the hospital or clinic we're delivering to. The zip turns around, flies back to our distribution center where it lands and we get it ready for the next delivery. And then of course, at any given time, there can be a bunch of zips in the air making deliveries all over the countryside of Rwanda, which is where our first operation is. You know, we were very excited to do something that both had something that really mattered and had the market potential to be a successful business. You know, as co-founders, we had been involved in lots of projects that had 
succeeded financially, uh, but we didn't think mattered very much, and, and vice versa. And so before starting Zipline, we took very good advice, which was to get out into the world and really get to know people who have problems that you're passionate about solving. Uh, we had heard from people in the public health space that, hey, delivery of medical supplies when you have poor road infrastructure, so dirt roads, lack of bridges, is a big problem in the healthcare space. And so we got out and spent a bunch of time in Central America and Africa getting to know people in this space. And from spending that time with those folks in their environment, it became clear the scale of the problem was huge. Uh, doctor after doctor shared this experience, especially in these, you know, outside of the cities that they just couldn't do their job. We even saw in one of those trips, this huge warehouse of what we thought was medicine. And, and we asked the question, you know, why is this an outdoor warehouse? Because it was, you know, boxes and pallets, basically, as far as you could see, like a couple football fields in size. And they were like, oh, no, this isn't medicine. This is expired medicine. You know, this is medicine that basically expired before we could get it where it needed to go. And it was those two experiences that made it clear that, you know, the problem was in some ways very straightforward. Get the medicine from the warehouses to the doctors. Transportation from A to B. And, uh, you know, being robotics geeks, we knew we could solve that with drones, with autonomous aircraft that could literally fly over the washed out roads, the missing bridges. And even more exciting than sort of solving that, that particular problem, because, you know, we could deliver so quickly, we could deliver on demand. And that is a huge multiplier because it means that you don't have to forecast accurately, which is hard to do in the Western world, let alone when you have less automated information systems. Uh, it means you don't have to have cold chain everywhere. You don't have to maintain refrigerators at every health clinic because we can deliver you know, enough vaccines for a day in a, in, a, in a cooler, basically. And now you just reduce the number of refrigerators need to operate by you know, 100x. And that these are super powerful things that as we spent more and more time with who became our customers, you know, it was just so obvious to us that not only could we really do something important for them, but they wanted it yesterday and we, and we thought we knew how to do it. So as of today, we've flown over 300,000 kilometers, delivering over 7,000 units of blood uh, while making 5,000 delivery flights. About 40% of the blood we deliver in Rwanda is used for postpartum hemorrhaging. So this is mothers who are bleeding as a complication from childbirth. And that's actually a fairly typical, in most places in the world, developing, developed as well as developing countries, that tends to be one of the biggest users of blood. And over the last 18 months, we've gotten to meet some of these families who got this blood in time. Uh, Alice is one example that I just adore, and she went into labor at the Kabgai Hospital in Rwanda. It's one of the hospitals we deliver blood to. She started bleeding, and in a lot of cases, you know, the amount of blood you need obviously depends on how bad the medical complication is. They have one unit of her type in stock. They used it up. They immediately placed an order with us, and we were able to get the all the blood she needed there in time. Uh, so she could be treated very seamlessly, which I like to remind people, you know, just like would have happened in Western countries. Uh, and I think that that was super powerful. Uh, Alice, unfortunately, a few months later was back in the Kabgai hospital 
and this time she had developed severe anemia due to malaria, another condition that is basically only treatable with emergency blood transfusion. And again, the doctors placed the emergency order with the zipline delivery service. Again, we got the blood there in time for the doctors to stabilize her and save her life. And, uh, you know, anyway, she's a wonderful example of how we fit into this solution, right? These doctors are motivated and there, uh, but you just got to get them the supplies they need on time. And then it's powerful. Looking to the future, we want to solve this at global scale. That's our mission. So the other front that's happening now is expansion. So we started in Rwanda delivering blood products, and now we are ramping up to start delivering pharmaceuticals and vaccines. And we're also just finishing our second distribution center in Rwanda, which will cover the entire eastern half of the country. So our first distribution center covers the western half. Our second one will cover the eastern half. And then from there, we move on to the next countries. Now that we've learned how to do this, we're in the mode of learning how to scale this uh, to, of course, start moving uh, towards our goal of the way we put it is get every doctor the medical supplies they need, no matter where they are. Thanks there to Keen and Wirebeck from Zipline, a fantastic company with a great mission. And it's clear from what he's saying that drone delivery is something that we're going to see become abundant in the next couple of years. And it's a market that I imagine is going to be quite lucrative. So hats off to Zipline for actually putting their energy into trying to do something that has a massive, glo potentially global social impact and putting a real world problem first. So now we're back in the studio with Lucy, Lucy Yu from 5AI. So Lucy, looking towards the future, you know, we talked about self-driving cars. And so where do you think that you could see the other applications of what you're doing? Mm. I mean, it's definitely a very broad technology with a lot of potential. I mean, I think at the moment we're very focused on passenger transport services, um, but logistics and deliveries, particularly in very dense urban areas, are also really interesting because they're an area where actually the statistics show that traffic is generally increasing. You know, we're all shopping online more, ordering things online more, and actually that's pushing up the amount of uh, delivery traffic in cities. So I definitely think there's a lot of potential to combine this technology with logistics and really to make some gains there as well. Okay, thank you. So Zipline is a great example of a company that's combining profit with purpose. And you earlier spoke about the problem that you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So for 5AI, how are you bringing that together? How are you bringing together the idea that you're a business and you're trying mm -hmm. to make money, yeah. but also you are trying to change the world mm -hmm. in a massive way? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think transport isn't working well for everybody at the moment. It's not serving everybody. And um, we definitely think that self-driving technology has the ability to provide services that do serve everybody. They serve different people's needs and regardless of their kind of income level or, or where they live. And if we provide those services and we design them in the right way, we can develop something that's extremely popular, that people really want to use but it's also a profitable business for us as well. So I think that's one of the things that's really appealing about 5AI and, and working in this industry is actually you're, you're kind of solving very difficult problems, but actually the outcomes of that are something that is has um, some real social impact as well. And just on that subject, uh, Keenan has a few final thoughts that I'd like to share. Doing something that you believe really matters, and that's something you kind of talk yourself into potentially mattering a little bit, Doing something that really matters it just makes everything easier and more fun. The team you can attract to work with you is going to be stronger and more motivated. It won't be a job for anybody. 
everybody is excited to be, uh, you know, showing up in the morning and solving problems together. And then, of course, you know, getting to actually work with the people in the real world who, of course, are what convince you that what you're doing matters, you know, they help drive everything. They help de-risk your engineering work. They help convince investors uh, you're onto something that can actually scale and that may, can really make not only a difference, but make a business. And these are all incredibly important things. You know, if you can't get your funding, good luck. You're not going to get anywhere. If you can't get the right people with the right motivation on your team, you're not going to be able to make the whole thing happen. And of course, the fact that having that team so well aligned and so passionate by working directly with these people who actually needed it yesterday, uh, well, it's just a ton of fun. So thanks again to Keenan. So I think the, the common thread of what you've both shared is that it's about a shared vision, both individually and as a company, and finding a way to bring together the purpose and the passion and the fact that you are businesses trying to make a difference yeah. as well. Great. Thank you. So now getting back to 5AI's mission to make autonomous transport the primary mode of transportation, how do you plan to, what are the next steps in terms of getting mass adoption? I think one of the first things to do is actually to allow people to experience this technology. So for many people, this is something that is still very kind of hypothetical. So they may have seen items in the news or read things in the media. Or watch movies. Or watch movies, indeed. (laughs) Um, But they have a particular perception of this technology and that might not really marry with the reality. So I think one of the things we can do is is actually just enable people to experience the technology for themselves and, and just become more familiar with it. And I think... That's one of the things that will really help to influence people's attitudes towards it and hopefully to drive adoption. And because you are talking about, essentially talking about public transport, where does government and policy come into that? There's definitely a role for regulation in terms of setting standards and reassuring the public that this technology that's being developed is safe enough to be deployed on public roads. So one of the really important things will be around actually creating some standards for some degree of uh, certification of technologies so that all the, the different players in this industry have some kind of standards that they have to be able to demonstrate. So it's about working together with government and other key players within the system? Yeah, um, because this is very new technology, there aren't really any existing rules about how it's developed and, and how we evaluate it and how we demonstrate that it's safe and um, what kind of commercial models should be permitted to be used. So it's definitely working very collaboratively to make sure we get a good outcome for both sides. So collaboration and open discussions. Yeah. Great. So we're nearly out of time, but I wanted to do a little bit of future gazing. And so for me, it's looking at where are we going in the short, medium and long term. So Mm -hmm. in the next five to 10 years, the next 20 to 30 years, where do you think we're going to be in terms of the future of transport? Oh, that's a big question. Typically with these things, there is this idea that we overestimate what's possible in the short term and underestimate in the long term. But I think in the next five to ten years, we'll definitely see much greater penetration of ADAS, which is advanced driver assistance systems. So these are kind of lower levels of automation that do specific things. So they might be things like automatic emergency braking or um, lane keeping assist systems. So these are already fitted to... A lot of cars coming to market now. Um, I think we will see more and more of that over the next kind of five to ten years. Um, Within that time frame also, we will be operating some autonomous passenger services in London and elsewhere. And then in 20 to 30 years, kind of bigger picture? I think in 20 to 30 years, this idea that people 
turn 17 and then they have their driving lessons and they get their driving license. I don't think that will exist anymore. I think um, people just won't drive themselves anymore and they won't own their own vehicles. Um, And we will just have a model of transportation which is um, just fully service-based. I think we will probably also see much more transportation in the air, um, definitely for things like deliveries and things like that. I think... Uh, we will start to see much more of that. And I think um, probably some more ground-based pods as well, so pavement pods, that sort of thing. I think we might see more hybrid vehicles, if you like, so vehicles that maybe can complete part of a journey on the road, on the ground, but can also kind of transform to become air-based as well. So I think we'll we'll definitely see those sorts of systems. I did see the the car that turns into a helicopter or something. Yeah, Yeah, I I think 20 to 30 years is definitely long enough for that kind of technology to come to the markets. so I think it will look ex- extremely different, yeah. And which of those excite you the most? I, I, I guess I have to say self-driving vehicles, don't I? So, um, <laughs> yeah, autonomous road-based transport, I think, is fantastically exciting. If you think about the impact of just the automobile on people's mobility experiences, and when people first started to to own cars and the kind of the freedom, the liberty that that gave to them. I think self-driving services, they're almost the next wave of that transformation. So they can definitely move us to a kind of much better mobility experience. Kind of closing up, which part of this future of transport would you encourage people to get involved in? Is it that they need to be interested in in transportation? Do they need to be interested in the environment? Can they bring all those things together? Where, Where would be a starting point for them? I think anyone who's kind of interested in this area, there are a couple of routes they could take. I mean, they could certainly actually look to work within the industry itself, say, for instance, engineering roles. But equally, I think on the city side, there are some big kind of policy and planning questions that actually link to how do we actually develop and how do we design transport services so that actually they can meet all these broader objectives of improving public health and increasing access to education and um, job opportunities and and all of those sorts of things. And so I think that's very different from the way that this kind of problem would have been approached in the past, but I think it's definitely the way that we need to think about it in the future. I think that goes back to what you were saying about the way that 5AI work is that you're about the full stack. It's not just these little component Mm -hmm. parts. And actually maybe that's the way that people should start to approach it and think about what's the whole journey and how can I add and be part of that conversation. Yeah, definitely. So, Lucy, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure we can carry on for hours. So where can, because we're we're coming to the end of the show now, so I want to make sure that people can get in touch and Mm -hmm. find out more. Where can they find more about you and 5AI? The best place at the moment is our website, uh, which is just 5.ai. And we have all of our kind of latest news and blogs and other bits and pieces are linked from there. So, um, yeah, first point of contact. And do you have a Twitter handle? At underscore 5AI. Thank you so much, Lucy. It's been a great conversation. Thank Lovely you. having you in the studio. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks also to Keenan Wyrobeck from Zipline. You can find out more by checking them out at flyzipline.com or on Twitter at Zipline. And to explore other global projects transforming lives with tech, like those featured in today's podcast, head over to Nominate Trust website. That's nominatetrust.org.uk. There you'll find more on the NT100 campaign, including the new report, Transforming Lives with Tech, A Global Conversation, sharing insights from five years of NT100 campaigns and projects and emerging social tech trends for 2018. We'll be back in two weeks' time. In the meantime, make sure you hit subscribe, leave a review or tweet at Nominate Trust. But until then, I'm Ada Paris. Thank you and goodbye. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.